Caiaphas got used. He got played. The player got played. The schemer got schemed. And I want you to think of how beautiful that is. One of the greatest Jesus haters in history spoke the most beautiful words about Jesus. That the man who only wanted to speak words of murder spoke words of life. The sermon that you're about to hear is from Pastor Paul Borman at Hope Lutheran Church, located in Tigard, Oregon. For more information and for more content, go to hopeintiger.com. I'm going to set the scene for this text that we're about to read together. Uh, Jesus has just done one of his most incredible signs, one of his most incredible miracles. Jesus has just raised a man named Lazarus from the dead. And what we're going to see today is really that this miracle of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead was the first domino to fall in the salvation history that happened during Holy Week, the week before Jesus' death on the cross. Uh, We're going to get into this here. Uh, John chapter 11, verses 45 through 53. Jesus has just raised Lazarus from the dead. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did put their faith in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many miraculous signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Then one of them, named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. And not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God, to bring them together and make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm not sure that it's fun to think about. In fact, I'm sure it's not fun to think about. But I think that scheming is as ingrained in American culture as is apple pie, baseball, and bourbon. Scheming is everywhere. And generally speaking, I try and, and, and avoid noticing all the schemes going on around me. But sometimes there are schemes that even I can't ignore. I mean, you take the stuff that's going on in the news right now. Nations, countries are scheming against each other. That's on a really big scale. And you, and you can think about scheming on a small scale too, like the scheming that my son does to get more iPad time every day. You can talk about the scheming that everybody probably experiences on a daily basis. You know, you get that phone call and you find out that you have been selected to have an all-expenses-paid vacation to the Bahamas. All you have to do is give away your, your personal information. 
That's a scheme. Scheming is, it's everywhere. It is part of the American experience. And unfortunately, it's not just part of the American experience. It's part of the human experience. Everyone knows what it's like to scheme. Everyone knows what it's like to get schemed. But what we have in front of us today is an omniscient narrator who lays the entire scheme out for us. That's what John does for us. In the entire back half of the book of John, he lays out for us how everything happened in salvation history. How it was that that the entire people of Jerusalem were, were turned against Jesus and how God used that to save all mankind. It was a scheme. And it was a scheme that looked ugly. And it was a scheme that God used to save all people. So here's that situation. John lays it out for us. The the powers of Palestine had a problem. It was a Jesus problem that they had. They were upset and they were worried because they saw that that Jesus was getting traction and, and they knew that he was a threat to them. And they also knew that they couldn't accuse him of anything, really. And so they had a Jesus problem and and they were so frustrated with this problem that they didn't even dignify him by giving him a name. They just call him this man. They have a problem with this man and what he is doing. And why do they have a problem with this man? The reason that they have a problem with him would be laughable if it weren't so evil. The reason that they have a problem with Jesus is not because he is out there stabbing people or harming children or plotting murder. They have a problem with him because of what he had just done, the miracle that he had just done. And you know already what he has just done. He has raised a man named Lazarus from the dead. He had reversed death. He had changed grieving. He had brought back a family member to two grieving sisters. And John records to, uh, for us that, that a group of people that were there, they believed in Jesus, but there was also a group of people that, that were there that John says they went back to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Can you picture that? These people, they observe with their own eyes a man who was dead walking out of his grave and they run and tattle to the Pharisees and they say, this man has done it again. He has done great evil and this time he raised a man from the dead as if that was a bad thing. So with this news, the political and religious gears start turning in Jerusalem right ahead of the Passover. John tells us, this omniscient narrator, he tells us that the chief priests and the Pharisees responded by calling calling a meeting of the Sanhedrin, this ruling council. They got together all of the political and religious 
to do is the top brass of Jerusalem who make all the decisions. And as they get together, all of their fear and anxiety about this man comes stumbling out of their mouths. You know, it's amazing. This top ruling council, they don't have organization. They don't have an agenda to their meeting. They're just spouting off here. They're saying, what are we accomplishing? This guy, he's out here doing all these miracles. What do we do? They're spiraling, aren't they? They know that Jesus represents an enormous threat to them, and yet they do not know how in the world they're going to deal with this problem. They can't accuse him. He's as far away from guilty as a person could be. So this is how I imagine this scene. It's like a bunch of chickens running around with their heads cut off. They got their eyes wide open. They're shouting over each other, what are we going to do? And then there's a man who's sitting there. John mentions him. His name is Caiaphas. He's the high priest that year. And, and he sits in this meeting presiding over what he must have viewed as a group of weak-kneed, anxious-minded, religious peons. History tells us a little bit about Caiaphas. He was a schemer. And he was good at it. He had to be. That's how he held on to his job. I mean, you can look in the records of this time and you can see that the three chief priests that came before Caiaphas, they each lasted for one year. Do you know how long Caiaphas lasted? 30 years. Caiaphas was good. He knew what he was doing in every situation. He knew how to work a crisis. He knew what he was doing in this moment. And so he let his little ruling council spiral out of control. This is how the conversation played out in front of him. The Sanhedrin, uh, they're gathering together. They say, what are we accomplishing? Here is this man. He's performing many miracles and signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. See, they named their fear. They spiraled until it came out. We are afraid that if people believe in Jesus then there will be so much unrest in the land that the Romans are going to come and put it down. And we're going to lose our power, our position, and our money. That's the threat that Jesus represented to them. And this is when Caiaphas stood up. While everyone else was spiraling down and out of control, Caiaphas was taking control. While everyone else was in a tizzy about what they should do, Caiaphas was finally moving into his end game. I imagine it that there was such a hubbub in this room. People were shouting at each other just to be heard, and then Caiaphas stands up and everyone gets quiet. 
I imagine he's got a snarl on his face as he speaks, and he's oozing condescension, and he's burning in fake indignation as he barks out at the people. Do you remember what he said? He said, you know nothing. See, he's not trying to win over the room. He's not trying to speak into the fear that his people are experiencing. What he does is he does a blanket insult to everyone who's there. So that everyone will fall in line with what he is about to say. And I don't want you to miss how genius it is the way that he couches his plan for them. I don't want you to miss what Caiaphas did so that everyone would be on the same page as him. He knew that he couldn't just say, like, you're right, Jesus has got to go, let's kill him. He knew that he needed political cover. He had waited for the right moment. He had waited for the right time. He had waited for the right circumstance, and this was it. He had his scheme. This is what it was. He said, you know nothing at all. Do you not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish? Do you see what card he's playing here, the political card that he's playing? He's playing the patriotism card. He's saying this is justified to kill this guy who threatens us because if we don't kill him, then everyone else in our nation is going to be worse off. It's the right thing to do. We have to kill Jesus. It's the only thing to do. It's genius, right? To turn a people against a man who was raising the dead, bringing sight to the blind, healing people, bringing sense into a mixed up world of of religious teaching to turn those people against him to the point that they wanted to kill him. It's so genius. It's so magnificently, brilliantly evil. Caiaphas, the schemer, schemed his worst. He pulled the right strings. He led the right people. He waited for the right time. And you know what? It worked. John tells us at the end of this text that from that point on, the entire ruling council plotted to kill Jesus. And they finally got their big break when Judas came to them and he said, I'm going to hand over Jesus to you. And then they arrested Jesus, brought him in, and Caiaphas had the chance to stand before everybody and run a mock trial so that he could get Jesus to say the words out loud, I am the Christ, so that Caiaphas had the chance to rip his clothing in outrage so that the people could see how dangerous Jesus is so that they could bring him to Pontius Pilate so that he would be condemned to die on the cross. It was brilliant, genius, and it worked. And that bothers us, right? It bothers me in a big way. Caiaphas got what he wanted. And it makes us start, start thinking of the world in terms of schemers. 
A world where it seems like evil wins every time, where, where Caiaphas' always end out on top. It makes us think of a world where fathers and mothers abandon their children or, or when fathers and mothers check in on their children in all the wrong ways. It, it makes us think of the world as a place where employers squeeze their employees just because they can. It makes us think of a world that, where race still divides us, where, where injustice reigns supreme, where, where, where children are abandoned, where, where marriages fall apart so much more often than they stay strong. It makes us think of a world where evil wins every time. It bothers me that KFS won. And that's why it is so important that we see the schemer in this text today. And by the way, from here on out, when I refer to the schemer, I am not talking about Caiaphas. I'm talking about someone else. Because I'll tell you right now that Caiaphas wasn't the biggest schemer in this text. Did you catch who was? Caiaphas certainly thought that he was the biggest schemer that was there on that day. He thought that he was in charge of everything that was going on. He wasn't. Did you catch it? I'll read the part where you can see it here. Uh, this is verse 50. This is what Caiaphas said. This is his great scheme where he thought he was in charge, but he wasn't. He said, you do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. Did you see it this time? Caiaphas did not realize what he was really saying, did he? Because what he did right here is he unintentionally and unknowingly, unwittingly, he proclaimed the gospel. This man who only ever wanted to speak words of murder about Jesus, he spoke the most life-giving words that can be spoken. This is what he really said. He said it's not right that the whole people should die. Just one guy should die. It's not good that a whole, a whole group of people should be tossed into the trash heap. Just one guy should. One should die for many. The just for the unjust. The good for the bad. He unwittingly, unknowingly shared the gospel because that's what the gospel of Jesus is. That one man should die for many. Caiaphas was not this story's greatest schemer. God was. And just so that we're clear about the presence of God in this story, John gives us a really important detail about how Caiaphas came to this plan. He says this, that Caiaphas did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation, and not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God, to bring them together and to make them one. Do you see this now? 
Caiaphas got used. He got played. The player got played. The schemer got schemed. And I want you to think of how beautiful that is. That the, one of the greatest Jesus haters in history spoke the most beautiful words about Jesus. That the man who only wanted to speak words of murder spoke words of life. And he did this on his own accord. Jesus, God didn't possess him to say these words. And God didn't whisper these words in his ears. Caiaphas spoke these words of his own accord. And he said, Jesus is going to die on behalf of the people. God arranged the moment. He arranged the personality. He arranged the perfect words to come out of the mouth of Caiaphas in one of the darkest moments in human history. Now, do you see what this tells you about God? I want you to take this home with you. What this shows us about God is that God is so good, so powerful, so loving that he is able to use the greatest evils and the most evil people and make it turn for good. Or to say it another way, God is playing salvation level chess while the rest of the world is playing checkers. And that matters, right? Just do the math. If God can arrange to preach the gospel out of the mouth of one of the most prolific Jesus haters, then can't he arrange for your salvation? And he has. And I want you to understand something, that God not only used Caiaphas in the moment to speak the gospel, he used Caiaphas to arrange for the gospel. Caiaphas had this great scheme that he was going to turn the people against Jesus and that Jesus would finally be out of the picture, but God was playing that salvation-level chess and he was using Caiaphas because he knew that his son needed to die for the sins of the whole people. Isn't that so beautiful? The way that God did that. And I want to bring out one other detail, too, that I think is also really beautiful. It shows that John was thinking about us today, his readers. He says that God would not die just for the Jewish nation, but also for all of the scattered children of God. I don't think he can get much more clear than to say that, hey, people of hope, I'm talking about you. One man died for you. You're off the hook. You are in. Believe that. Believe that. See, that's all there is for us to do. Believe that. Trust that for your life. The beauty of this dark history is that this is as evil and chaotic and brutal and dark 
as history can get. This was a plot on the life of God. It doesn't get darker than that. And right there in that darkness, God put the gospel in the mouth of a man who hated him. And you see what this means. It means that God makes light shine in the darkness always. And that truth allows us to live life trusting God every moment, every hour. It allows us to say to ourselves in all honesty, if God can do this, if God can work in all of that evil to make my salvation come about, then I have every right to believe that God is doing that for me right now. It's child play for God. And it means that we can live in a world that is so awfully full of schemes and schemers because we know that we have God at our side. And we know that in it all, he is playing salvation-level chess while the rest of us are just playing checkers. Believe that for your life.